Good morning, church. I had to read something important. There were some, a couple of letters here that were written to Santa Claus that I think you need to hear about. This one says, Christmas, I love the presents you get me every year. You work so hard. I wish you could take a break. Love, Sky. P.S. I don't think you're too fat. Dear Santa, this is another one. I was wondering if I could get a couple of things for Christmas. Here's the list. You might need to flip the page. A puppy, a dog, a kitten, a cat, a fuzzy puppy, a fuzzy kitten, and the list just goes on and on. Here's another one. Dear Santa, please text my dad. He has my whole list. I love you. Here's another one. Dear Santa, and I, I got a feeling this wasn't written by a kid. Dear Santa... This year, please give me a big, fat bank account and a slim body. And please don't mix those two up like you did last year. <laughs> you know, um, for us, this entire month of December, what my goal is, is that you and I stop and we focus on this little word, us. The reason Jesus did everything and the reason the creator of the universe sent his son was for you and for me. Christmas, in that sense, really is all about us. And uh, for unto us a child is born. My topic this morning is joy. And I would also uh, let our church family know that uh, Yvonne Barton went home to be with the Lord. Our hearts and our, and our, and our thoughts and our prayers are, are with Arthur, her husband, and uh, um, Craig and Rose Hatfield, and, and so, so much of their family uh, at a time this year going through such loss. Just an absolutely um, sweet couple. And uh, our prayers are with them. If you're looking at your notes, you'll see the first thing that I put there for you is the central theme of the Bible is joy. One of the things that God chose to do from Genesis all the way through, even when his children, the children of Israel, were in the most difficult of situations, his desire that even in those situations, they might come to a place where they had joy. It is the theme. It's, it's a string that weaves itself through scriptures. And, and we send out our Christmas cards that talk about that, and we decorate our yards and, and put up our lights, and, and we sing songs, and we slip into this, this whole season of joy, and we can have all the symbols and yet still not experience real joy in our lives. But it's God's desire that we not just enjoy the, enjoy the whole Christmas story and enjoy all the fun and things that go with it, but that we actually experience joy no matter what's going on in our lives. And not just at Christmas time, but throughout the whole year. And we can, we can go through our lives and, and, and talk about it, and yet there's a disconnect between the words that we're using and what we're feeling inside. And statistics actually give us even more information about this. The reality is that between Thanksgiving and through the Christmas season, there is more crime and there are more suicides than the 11 months before all put together. 
it is a high problem area. And uh, it can, for many people, be the darkest time of the year. And, and I don't believe it's because our problems are greater at those times. I, th I think it's really just because we are more in touch with the pain in our lives during those periods and those times. And some of us, even followers of Christ, we can, we can show up on Sundays and, and, and we can put on, on a smile and we can be dressed up and ready, but yet deep down inside not experiencing that joy. It's funny, when, when, if you were to ask people what they would connect joy with, and say you took your microphone out on the street and you recorded it and, and, you, and you were to ask, what, 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 what is it you associate joy with? Most people would not associate joy with church. They, they would not even associate mostly joy with God. They would associate it with other things. And we so often, even in the church, we, 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 grew, we grow up thinking church has to be so serious and that we shouldn't have fun in church. Now, I, I grew up, I've, I've shared with you guys, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in church. And, and I, I was, you know, I, my whole life. And so there were a bunch of years in there that, that I was not really focused on what my dad was preaching about. I was more focused, especially through younger years, on, on just getting through the service and having fun. And we didn't have ch children's things going. See, everybody was in, in the main room. And there were different games that friends of mine and I would play. We tried rolling a ball from the front of the church to the back of the church and catching it underneath all the pews uh, without hitting people's feet. And, of course, got in trouble for that one. And there were all kinds of other games we played. And throughout the years of being a kid, see, my dad's pulpit was up here, and it was big. And, it, and, and then in the background, there was a, there was a pew back here, and there was a pew on this side, and they weren't real long. They were probably only about six feet long, and the only purpose for them was for, for somebody to sit who was a guest speaker or something like that, and my dad would typically sit in the one side here for, while the worship was going on, and then that would go in, and then he would come up here, and then there would be nobody sitting back there. Well, so often during the service, I, I would get to this point where my dad would recognize that my mom no longer had control over me. And he would just, he would, from his pulpit, he would step to the side and he would put his hand right on the pulpit like that. And he'd say, James, and he'd point to that pew. And that meant the rest of the service, I had to sit back there and look out at the whole congregation. And they, that's why I'm so comfortable with all you people looking at me. I, I grew up, you know, I just grew up sitting there so often. Perhaps my concept of fun in church was a little bit over the edge. But I think we go so far the other direction, and we take it so serious. And there's no biblical verses for that. As a matter of fact, Psalm chapter 2, verses 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, meaning God actually laughs. We don't think in those terms. The creator of the universe laughs. We don't realize that God has a huge sense of humor. Just look at the person to your right, and then you'll recognize God has a huge sense of humor. Look at your spouse, and we know the funny things about ourselves. Nehemiah in chapter 8, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I got to tell you, I grew up in church where 
so many people, if, if that verse is true, they could have been mugged by a butterfly because they just were not showing the joy of the Lord as any kind of strength. And yet that's what God desires to do in our lives. And not just at Christmas time, and not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, all the time. But if I'm looking at our culture and our society, here's a picture that I, that I think better describes our culture and our society. We're, we're hanging on to joy, but, but, but there's, there's, a, there's a disconnect there. And, and you know, in, in, in 2019, you know, all through December this year, and as we head into the new year, we're making a commitment to enjoy life more, to enjoy church more. Do you know why? Because the God that we serve is enjoyable. He's enjoyable. He wants our lives with him to be enjoyable. And we can so often get caught up with, with church being so serious. And Hollywood and religion, they've done this whole job of painting Jesus into a picture, and that's not who they paint him as. You know, when Jesus showed up on the scene, the Bible says that kids jumped up in his lap. You know what kind of adult you have to be for kids to do that? He was enjoyable. He was a kid magnet. So as we move through December, Christmas Eve is going to be a big deal for us. And every Sunday, the next two Sundays and Christmas Eve, we're, Christmas Eve is going to be such a special time. You are not going to want to miss it. As a matter of fact, Christmas Eve is probably the most ideal time of the year to invite someone to the experience, really, that we're preparing for them here on Christmas Eve. The central theme of Christmas is joy, joy, and, and, and God announces this birth of a Savior first to the shepherds. They're the first ones that he comes to with this announcement. If I were God, here I am again telling him what to do. If I were God, I would take this announcement to the rulers of nations, I would take this announcement at least to the, to the religious leaders of the day or maybe to the town square. But no, he takes this announcement first to the shepherds. And, and the shepherds, it's, it's a whole interesting thing. That you're talking about the, the loneliest, the, the, the most miserable, the, the darkest. It's the darkest time of the night. And not only that, see, the shepherds represent the, 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 the lowest level of, of workers. And besides that category, we're talking late at night. All the good shepherds are at home in bed with their families. These are the guys that got stuck with the late night, midnight shift. And God chooses to first come to them. Why? Because it's a symbol of who he is to us. He comes to us in our brokenness, and he, and he comes to us to, to address us and to, to bring a remedy to our lives. We glamorize the shepherds, but the reality is that the life that was lived there was a miserable one. They were under Roman rule. They were under oppression. And the shepherds in this passage of Scripture and in that culture were, were a symbol of darkness. Jesus addresses every person. Christmas addresses every person 
who ever experienced darkness in any way. And guys, that is every single one of us. That is me for sure. That is all of us. About 30 years after Jesus had left the planet, Luke sits down and he begins to write in the book of Luke, the Christmas story. And I would encourage you, Luke is a Gentile. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. And he was a physician. He was a doctor. And he was very descriptive. He, he wrote so clearly the details. And, and Luke says, I did all the research. And, and I looked at, see, this is 30 years after Jesus had left the planet. And Luke really is our first church historian. And before I look at the part of Luke that I want to look at today, I want let's go back to the beginning of Luke in, in chapter 1, verse 1. It, Luke writes this. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many. You and I open our Bible, and we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They weren't the only ones. There, there were many who took the time to write this story out. But God chose specifically those four to place them in his word for you and I. And there are four different perspectives. And, and the Christmas story, I believe, is most clearly laid out by Luke in details. So if you're going to Christmas Eve with your family, if you want to read the Christmas story or, or Christmas Day, or, or maybe there's a point in, in, in this, this time that you want to do that with your family, open up the book of Luke and read from chapter 1, verse 1, right on through the whole story. He actually goes into Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, and tells that story and the correlation between the two. You don't want to miss that. I, I'd encourage you to take time and read this. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught and the Christmas story is laid out so clearly by Luke. I want to jump to the part that I want to look at this morning, which is chapter 2, verse 8. Now there were shepherds. They were in the same country, shepherds, living out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. So often that's our condition. We, we're just so uncertain about the future, about life. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Great joy. The angel didn't say, I bring you good tidings of great wealth. I bring you good tidings of a really good politician. Or I bring you good tidings of even compassion or righteousness. He didn't even say of love. He said joy. This deep down inside joy. I bring you good tidings of how you can get your act together. No, I didn't do that. See, during the holidays, the central theme from God himself is about joy. It's where joy is such a big deal. Joy, which will be to all people. 
I started thinking about this, and then I started thinking, you know, for, for, for every important thing, there's a counter. We look at a $100 bill, and, 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 and we like $100 bills, but the reality is there's also a counterfeit. For, and if you've ever seen one, I've seen one. Of you, they, you know, they can look so much like the real thing. But the counterfeit for joy is happiness. And as Americans, we, we, we really pursue happiness. It, it is one of our greatest pursuits so I began to look up the descriptions of happiness, and then I went back to the original language, and I was looking at, at the Latin word. The Latin word, the, happiness comes from a Latin word, hap. The, the Latin word for happiness is hap, which, which actually, when you read the definition of hap, it's circumstance and luck. Now, is that a counterfeit for what Christ came to bring? He's talking about joy deep inside of us. But happiness, in other words, when it's sunny, we can be happy, but when it's rainy, we're going to end up be sad, being sad. We're at the mercy of circumstances. And God came to bring us so much better than happiness. And that's why he talked, that's why the angels, they started out by talking about joy. The real miracle is that God does joy. It's, it's not circumstantial, which is external. It's internal, and it's joy. Even when all hell is breaking loose on the external, he can provide joy on the internal. Paul, the apostle, he sits down in jail, and he writes the entire book of Philippians, which, by the way, is all about joy. From jail. Not only in jail, but knowing his life is not going to last much longer. Paul writes this whole book about jail. And, and, and Paul and Silas find themselves at a time in jail, in one of the worst jail conditions of their day. And what do they do? They start singing and praising and worshiping God. And it changes the circumstances like you can't imagine. God himself sends an earthquake, and the, and, and the jailer is scared to death, ready to take his own life. And Paul says, don't, don't do that. Because the two of them had joy deep down inside. We all have a dark place. At least we all have the potential of a dark place. I shared with our staff that probably about three weeks ago, I was just, I was just disappointed. I, I don't think I was at the level of discouragement, but maybe borderline, but I was certainly disappointed. I was disappointed in God. I was disappointed in, in a situation. And, and, and interestingly enough, I, it's almost like, it's almost like I wrapped my arms around that situation and I held on to it. Karen will tell you, it was a whole, at least a week, maybe even more than that. And you wouldn't notice it on Sundays because I wouldn't let you see it. But inside of me was, was this real discouragement. I was certainly in a dark place. But it wasn't until I really began to focus on who God is what God says, and God's plan, and God's purpose, that I began to very quickly just lift right out of that. 
See, see we, can, we, can, we can choose to hang on to it at times. And, and I did that. And we can come here dressed up on Sunday. We can, we can dive in and be celebrating the, the holidays. But, but there can also be a disconnect where we're saying it, but we're really not experiencing it. In the scripture, we see history. We, the Bible gives us his story. And, it's, it, it, and, and it, starts, it starts in Genesis and weaves its way all the way through. And one of the things I just want to touch on this morning is the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, he's, he's writing to Timothy a letter. And, and, he's, and he's giving, giving Timothy some insight on what's going to happen and what you're going to see more and more. And when he writes this particular letter, 2 Timothy, to, to, uh, to Timothy, Paul's explaining to Timothy what it's going to be like in the last days. See, when, when time begins to come to the place where Jesus is coming back, in the latter days, and a lot of Bible scholars will tell you that the last days actually started after Jesus left this planet. And, and you can take a theological position on, on where you think we are and, and how you think that's going to work out, but it really doesn't, it only matters so much. But Paul begins to write the example. Paul says that conditions, these are the conditions that are going to accelerate. And by the way, if you want to look at last days and when is it, the reality is all of the, pro the prophecies about latter times and the last days have been fulfilled or are being fulfilled. In other words, they've all already happened and I've watched so much of this in my lifetime, especially with Israel and what's going on. And, and now we're at the place where all prophecies have been fulfilled or they're in the process. And let, let me explain this. In the process of being fulfilled means they are at the place where like this, it could be done. Because they are being fulfilled. They're not totally done because when they're totally done, then we're there. But we are certainly, and there's going to be real clarity here as we read this passage of Scripture. And he says, look at the conditions. People's hearts will get worse and worse in the end times. All the more reason that the creator of the universe, the God who loves us passionately, wants us to have this joy. No matter what's going on around us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. But mark this, Paul says to Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then he goes on to say, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Does any of this look familiar? I mean, is this our culture or what? And then he goes on to address the uns. Okay, these are the heart issues, the, the things that, that he was writing up till then, they, they are all things, that, but, but now he's going to talk about the heart issues that cause so much of this. He said, disobedient to their parents, they're ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, some of the drivers that I pass just on my way to, to, to church every, every day of the week, not lovers of the good. Let's not settle for the comforts of life 
without commitment to Christ. We can easily slip into that place. These are heart conditions that Paul is writing to Timothy, Timothy and he's saying in the last days, these are the things people are going to struggle with. Let, let's look at them together. You can fill them right in your notes. The first one is ungrateful. Ungrateful. In, in, the, in the United States of America, what we want is more and more and more. And it doesn't matter what it is. We all have different things. But we want more and more and more. And, and, and that's, that's a journey that will really, it's a wasted journey. It will leave us unfulfilled. And, and we think that there's a certain amount of money that when we reach that certain amount of money, many of us, that, that we're not going to worry about anything, and we're going to be at peace. And so we get that amount of money, and we realize that that amount was really this amount. And then we get to that place, and when we're there, nothing's changed except that that number is, is even greater. Because our hope is in money or, or relationship or different things, and, and it's a pursuit that gets worse and worse. There's a leadership book that it's called the, the Progress Paradox. And I think it just really describes us here in America because it says that Americans have choice anxiety. We have so much to choose from. We have so much of everything. I, I, we, we shopped at, at, at Albertsons for, for so long. And Albertsons was about a mile from Safeway, and, and, and Safeway, and, and Alberts was also about a mile from Bashes, and, and it was kind of like an L shape, you know, but the closest one was Albertsons, so I shopped there, but then they opened up fries. When you came into fries, they had a Starbucks, and Safeway had a Starbucks, yeah, but, 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 but fries had a Starbucks. And they had a whole section with clothes. I mean, you could buy Carhartt, you can buy Adidas, you can buy all this kind of stuff in this fries. I'm telling you, you should go to it. It's at Litchfield Road in Camelback. And not only that, there's a drugstore in there. It's great. And, and, the, and the meat section is unbelievable. You can go back to the meat section, pick out the meat you want, and they will grill it for you, and you can take it with you. If you want to, you can go sit at the wine bar and watch, watch football games. I mean, this store is unbelievable. I, in the 80s, I went to Europe, and I was in Europe, and I was in Holland, and, 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 and I, was, I was in Belgium, and, and we, I, I went to the, the, the biggest and the best store that they had, and I couldn't imagine any of us being happy going to that little store. They, they, could, not even, they could not even imagine the kind of stores that you are just normal to you and I. And in South America, the stores that I've been to, and they were supposed to be the biggest and the best, and they, we, we would come out of there so disappointed. We have so much. Karen and I, a couple of weeks ago, were over in the East Valley, and we went to Chompy's because we like to go. There's one now in, in Arrowhead, I understand. But we, we went to Chompy's to open up the menu. It was like four pages of stuff. I didn't know what to eat. There was so much stuff in there. It took me a while to, to work this thing down to my choice. And we live with all this stuff, and it's nothing to us. We have so much. I remember a couple of years ago when they came out, when they got the iPad, iPod rather, down to a small little thing. You got, how many of you guys remember that, right? It was this tiny little thing. All of your music could be on this. 
Now we don't even use that. Most of us just use our phone. I, I, I think that as parents, what we need to do this year is we need to buy our kids a Sony Walkman. We need to do whatever. Get online, get, find one of those things, and, and give that to your kids for Christmas. And, and just, just help them understand where we are. We have a tendency to be ungrateful. Paul also says, listen, we're unloving. They will be, in the last days, they will be unloving. Some people in our culture are mad, and they don't even know why they're mad. They're just mad. That's, that's, that's gonna, a culture is going to have that, Paul says. Unforgiving. This is huge. Unforgiving, even within the church. One, one lady I was talking to, she says, I have to go to two of everything in this Christmas season. She says, because my mother and my sister won't talk to each other. So I have to go to two different gatherings. Bitterness, unforgiveness. And you think you're punishing the other person by not forgiving them. The best definition I have ever heard for unforgiving is you setting yourself on fire hoping the other person is going to die from smoke inhalation. So true. As we start to go down this list, I mean, how's your heart? I know we're, we're, we're wearing Christmas clothes and sending cards out and we're putting the lights on our house, but is there joy inside? Paul's writing this to Timothy. Then the fourth one is unholy. If Jesus came to do anything, he came to save us from our sins. Guys, this is a broken world. And the creator of the universe, the Christmas story is all about this. You can't get away from this. And he wants, he, he wants our lives, he wants, he wants us to embrace him and allow this joy to be implanted in us. The reality is we have all sinned. But listen, one of the things that does the most damage in our lives is when you and I, as followers of Christ, have unconfessed sin or a secret sin. We just don't want to deal with that one thing with God. We'll do it, but not that one. And there's nothing that can make you feel worse than unconfessed sin in our lives. And Jesus comes in and he brings good, good news. It's the very reason he came. We can enjoy the trees. We can enjoy Santa Claus and Enjoy all the gifts, and we need to do that. But the Bible says, the angel says, I come with good tidings of great joy. I come to address the uns in your life. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. More than anything else, we need a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I spent a lot of years on construction sites, and Jesus Christ was mentioned a lot. 
it was mentioned so much that if you didn't know better, you'd think that Christ was his last name. It's not his last name. It's a title. It's a title like President Bush or President Obama or President Trump. It's Jesus the Christ. Here's the definition. You, you might want to fill this one in and write it down. The Christ, the one who has the anointing to break the yoke of bondage inside of you. The one who has the power to remove the un. The one who has the power to address the junk on the inside of you. Jesus the Christ. Verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, Jesus. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, circle those two words, on earth, on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. On earth, I'm going to bring peace, he said. There's nowhere in Scripture that Jesus, that says that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. We send out Christmas cards that say, peace on earth. It's nowhere in Scripture. See, he didn't came, he didn't come to change circumstances. He didn't come to change a nation or a culture. He came to, in the middle of whatever is going on, he came to bring peace. Sorry about your Christmas cards. Not to change the circumstances on earth, but among the chaos to bring peace because he came to bring joy, which is on the inside of us. And even though we have a dark place or even in our church life, like myself, we can find ourselves in, in a dark spot. He didn't come to bring religion. Maybe sometimes we're miles from God and we're struggling with forgiving. Only God can give you joy without changing your circumstances. And that's what he came to do. He came to bring joy in the middle of chaos. And for some of us, we, 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 we're talking the joy part and Christmas and, and we're enjoying the season and we should. Every bit of it, Santa Claus and all. But church, let's not go through this season without that joy deep inside that he desires that we have. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much for loving us. God, as we open up the Christmas story throughout this month and we stop and we, we look at it and and figure out really what some of these meanings are that we so often skip over top of. This morning as we settle in on joy and understand the reality that that's what you want to bring to our lives. Pray for our church family, Father, that we would be open to you doing that 
in our lives. And if there are any here this morning who have never accepted you as their Savior, for unto us this day is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. Understanding that and believing it and accepting it will automatically make us one of your children. There, anyone here this morning that, that maybe you've never done that, I would encourage you to do it right now. You can just do it right standing where you are by saying, I believe that. I believe that Jesus was born and that he laid his life down and he was crucified and he rose from the dead to be my Savior. And I accept that gift. And you become his child and part of our church family and a part of our spiritual family. Some of us were followers of Christ and we are just not at the place for whatever reason where we're willing to let go of one of those others. I'd encourage you to do it this morning. Just give it to him because he has the anointing and the power to change that in your life. God, we ask you to do it in your name. And in your name we pray and everyone said, amen.